Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. Ah, but don't dial right this second because we already have Penny and Jack and Suzanne and Kay waiting. But we'll have a line available for you pretty shortly on this beautiful Saturday morning across South Texas. Uh, Let's just get right back to those calls. And Penny is up next. Good morning, Penny. Hi, Bob. Good morning. I thank you. I have a question. Um, a friend of mine up in Canada asked me about a house plant, and I told her I had no clue, but I knew exactly who would have the <laughs> She's having a problem with gnats on African uh-huh. violets. Sure. What uh, what causes that, and what can be done about it? Well, if they are coming out of the soil of plants, and uh, or even they can come just as well out of an empty, you know, pot of soil. But where there's moisture, you can get this uh, little gnat, which is called a fungus gnat. Now, it's not to be confused with the so-called sewer gnats that may come out of your sink or drain or things like that. But fungus gnats live and reproduce in the soil of our house plants. Frequently, it's a sign of they're just staying a little too wet, and if you simply let them get a little bit drier, the fungus gnats go away. But the other solution, the same bacteria that kills mosquito larvae, and it's called uh, Bacillus thuringiensis israeliensis, and so we usually just call it BTI. But uh, it's available in a number of different forms. Two most common are little, oh, they kind of look like red pepper flakes about the same size and consistency but and they're called mosquito mosquito bits i believe is the name on them and uh, they contain the bti you will also see what look like little miniature donuts that are look like they're made out of kitty litter and i imagine that's what it is is uh just zeolite or something like that that has been uh coated with the bti but whichever one she would find you just take a small amount of this material put it in a watering can let it soak for a few hours and then use that water to water your plants what you're doing is getting the bti into the soil where it will kill the larvae of the fungus gnats just the same way it does mosquito larvae now it takes probably three or four days before she's really going to see the results but if she will get a bti product and uh, just put that in the water water the soil with that uh, no more fungus gnats okay is there a certain brand name up in Canada or uh, you know of? <laughs> it has been so long since I've been to Canada, I would have no idea what to tell her to look for again. Uh, but if she wanted to look online, if she doesn't find it in her local garden centers, um, the two names that we handle it under, one is Mosquito Bits, B-I-T-S, and the other is Mosquito Dunks, D-U-N-K-S. Now, if she gets the dunks, she doesn't have to use that whole dunk. If she brought it, broke it into, you know, six or eight pieces, each one of those would have enough of the BTI for her, you know, just to fill a watering can full 
and uh, and water the plants with. But either mosquito bits or mosquito dunks will be what we'll be looking for here. But uh, um, I wouldn't I wouldn't know what she'd be looking for in Canada. Could very very well be the same thing though. I guess she could also probably order online from somewhere, you know, in, in exactly. the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, well, I appreciate your time, and I'm, I'm going to share that with her, and hopefully she'll have some good results. And you call me back with any further questions. All right, thank you. Have a great day. Thank you too, Penny. Thank you. Goodbye. All right, Jack is up next. Good morning, Jack. Good morning. Morning, sir. I have a new garden. You got me hooked. <laughs> Guilty as charged. How often do you have to spray to keep the bugs off? Do you use cornmeal every day? Do you use the uh, stuff for the, the worms? Well, yeah, I, you know, I, the, the only thing that I put down proactively is usually in the spring and fall, I will put down some beneficial nematodes to take care of any overwintering or oversummering larvae. Since yours is a new garden, I don't think you probably need to do that. But I'm not a believer in preventive spraying. I'm much more reactive than proactive because we've got an awful lot of good bugs out there. Probably 80% of the stuff that shows up in the garden is something that we want to have around, whether it's the honeybees, whether it's praying mattis. Uh, there are things called lace wings. There are things called assassin bugs or something called the giant wheel bug. I don't spray unless I see a problem. And um, golly, when did I plant? Uh, I, I'm gardening. I, I brought a lot of my vegetable gardening up closer to my house, and I started planting in that probably six months ago. I haven't sprayed even once. Um, I haven't had to spray a single thing. I had a, a different area that I had to spray some, you know, VT for some uh, loopers that got on my kale. But uh, I, I'm not into into just spraying for the sake of spraying. I'm going to keep an eye out for any problems that may occur and then spray when I see those problems. And I'm only going to spray the necessary area because a healthy, well-balanced garden, you know, unless something is getting really toward the end of its normal life cycle, uh, in my garden at least, I've got so many beneficial insects, I rarely see a bad insect. Okay, well, my wife said there was a lot of holes in the uh, leaves of the black-eyed peas and maybe the squash, I'm not sure which. I, I'm i seeing a lot of pill bugs. I've probably seen more sow bugs, pill bugs, roly-polies, whatever you want to call them. I've never seen so many of those. It's probably because of all the rain. And they are the creatures that most commonly will be eating holes in leaves. Now, I do put out a bait periodically for them. It's called Sluggo, S-L-U-G-G-O, Sluggo Plus. And it takes care of snails, slugs, and pill bugs. Um, and it, it does a better job blasting pill bugs. I don't know anything you can put on them that'll kill them other than your foot. Um, so I don't, uh, I don't think spraying's really going to help there. But uh, putting out a little bit of Sluggo Plus will probably take care of that problem. Well, I put it out. I just wondered if all these rains we've had does that affect the Sluggo? Does that take? Yeah, oh, it does. Yeah, it most definitely does. Right up. Yeah. Okay, what type of pump sprayers do you use? Do you have, uh, I've got a couple and I can't keep them where they'll pump up anymore. 
Well, the the important thing, of course, is to rinse those sprayers thoroughly, you know, between use. Always never leave anything in them. Always empty them out. And if you'll periodically put a drop of oil uh, both on top where the where the little plunger goes up and down and on that uh, kind of little diaphragm down on the bottom, that really extends the life. Uh, I've been using a sprayer called Centurion. And uh, it, they have worked very well for me over a pretty long period of time. But, again, I don't use them very often, so I may just be better off than most. But uh, it's hard to find a decent sprayer. I mean, when they stop making the old Hudson sprayers, uh, I've tried Gilmore. I've tried Spray Docks. And um, I'm like you. They, they just don't hold up. This new sprayer that I've been using called Centurion, so far so good. But I have to say I've had to use it very much. Okay. Do you have the, uh, the seeds now for, like, we went. We came by a couple of weeks ago, and you were out of bush beans. Do you have any bush beans seeds? We've we've gotten we've gotten more seeds of many things, including bush beans. I know uh, I put a bunch of them on the shelf for Wendy the other day. One of our big seed companies is totally sold out for the season. There are just so many people gardening, but uh, we've gotten a lot more in. If you're looking for something specific, you might call before you make a special trip, but we've got a lot more seed on the shelf. And actually, of course, we don't recommend bean transplants, but uh, we've we've probably got a better supply of eggplant and peppers than we've had in several weeks. So they're kind of getting a little bit caught up. But, uh, yeah, I think you'll find plenty of seed now. Okay. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. All right. It's going to be Suzanne and Kay and Joe and Faye. A nice ring to that. Uh, good morning, Suzanne. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you this morning? I'm really loving these cool mornings. Just cannot oh. go on forever. <laughs> it just, boy, you walk out and, oh, it just, uh, it, it, this was, this is the best we've had in about a week. It's just still, it's nice to be here just on the cusp of June and still sometimes have to grab a second shirt to be really comfortable. So uh, I'm going to enjoy every one of them, but, uh, I think it's just wishful thinking to, to hope they're going to last much longer. Oh, yeah. Bite that thought out of your mind. Um, Bob, uh, for your advice, I planted one of those, the, the little skinny bean, uh, bush beans. Yeah, Tavera. Mine is, I could not get the seed that you had. Mine is a burpee okay. variety. It's a, it's a fillet style bean. Uh-huh. At any rate, the plants are beautiful, but I am not getting, I, I have flowers. I've had a few beans. They're just not producing. Um, I'm thinking that, that they've probably, it's probably gotten too warm for them in my garden. Um, and I know I can pull them and, and feed them to the cows and plant uh, top crop or contender. What would you do? Oh, boy. If your garden is really small, how, how many days have, have these beans been planted? And um, uh, do you recall on the seed package, they always tell you the average day to production. Um, do you remember those numbers? I'm sorry, I can't tell you. It was a, Well, yeah, if you my, still my, have... My spring garden. Go ahead. Uh, if you still have the seed package, uh, look back and say your average bush bean, bean is going to take somewhere between 38 and 45 days to produce. Um, if I planted the seed 
you know, 36 days ago or even 40 days ago and it wasn't producing heavily, I'd go ahead and leave it in a little bit longer. But if it said 38 days to production, I'm now at day 50 and I'm still not getting anything, I'd pull it out and plant something new. Oh, great. That, that gives me, I, I've got the seed package just out in the garage. Yeah. I'll check it out and get yeah. some action. And, and again, this is one reason that I so recommend, and I'm saying do as I say, not necessarily as I do, because I've fallen down a bit on it this spring. But uh, try to record the dates that you plant, and then you can always refer to it. And uh, um, a lot of varieties, they start blooming sometime before they really start setting seed, but comparing your results to that expected uh, production date on the package is always is always a real good way to get an idea. And like I say, if it said it's a 40-day bush bean and you're 55 days into having planted it and it's not producing, no, it's going to it's gonna get fed to the cows and something more productive is going to go in its place. Okay. Uh, and I have been amazed at how different this spring has been. Same plants that I usually plant. Right. Uh, okra is way behind. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. And I had a really poor tomato crop last spring. Uh-huh. They're loaded this year. It's and just... no, no difference in, in my care. It's, it's the climate. You know, oh, yeah. The difference in the temperatures during the day and temperatures at night. Yeah. Oh, a last question. I'm growing a black creme tomato for the first time. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I figured that it, it, for it to be ripe, it's probably like Cherokee purple. Very much so. You can you can kind of go with how the tomato feels. They're the softer tomato, right? Is that right? And that would be exactly what I would do. And I'm starting to pick. I picked my first Cherokee purples this week, so black cream shouldn't be very far behind. All right, and it's a smaller tomato, right, than Cherokee purple. You know, that's hard to say because I picked a Cherokee purple that was as big as the palm of my hand, and right next to it I picked one that was, uh, you know, not a heck of a lot bigger, well, about the size of a golf ball. So they can be highly variable even on the same plant. On average, I would say black creme is slightly smaller than Cherokee purple, but uh, they're just, as you were just observing, they're just not very many absolutes in the gardening world. Absolutely, and especially when you deal with heirloom tomatoes. They, <laughs> right. They, just have a, they have a will of their own. Yeah. And that's why I, I continue to grow them. They're, they, they're number one, so tasty. Yeah. And... I had like last year I didn't I had six Cherokee purple plants and five of them got infected with sucking insects, leaf uh-huh. bugs, whatever. Yep. I had had so few tomatoes it was I was heartbroken. But I, you know, here again this year they're looking good. Knock on wood when you say that. Yeah, my plants, it's, I don't remember. I've got pictures that tell me that there have been years that my plants maybe have been like they are, but even, you know, even my semi-determinants, like my celebrities, my tomato cages are six feet tall, and I've gone back and put a two-foot extension on top of virtually all of them because the plants are so enormous, and I, knock on wood, have a large, large crop of fruit set. So uh, hopefully this is going to be, 
And, and the reason I say this is because we have so many new gardeners out there with all this COVID stuff, with all this uh, stay-at-home stuff. I can't tell you how many people are planting their first gardens, and I'm just very thankful to Mother Nature that uh, we seem to have a pretty good year going because uh, everybody, if, they're, if their first year gardening is a success, you know they're going to be hooked. And I certainly hope that that turns out to be the case this year. I, I do too. And if, if the COVID, this virus has done us any good, maybe it is this. I. So, yeah. My advice is just keep on keeping on. You know, <laughs> the the skin, and I can't stop. So. Oh, I'm I'm with you 100. percent It's it's kind of like fishing. It will teach you patience. If you don't have patience, you better find another occupation. But Suzanne, I hope you have a wonderful weekend, and I know we'll talk again. All right. Thanks, Bob. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. And goodbye. All right. Let's go ahead and talk to Kay. Good morning, Kay. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a tomato question. All right. Um, Back, I guess it was the beginning of March when I got my tomatoes, I I could only get um, Sun Gold and Sweet 100, which are great. And the only uh, other one I could get was a Lemon Boy. I've never had Lemon Boy before, so I got one. And the those cherry tomatoes are doing fantastic, but this Lemon Boy, it it had blooms that it, it started blooming at first mm-hmm. it put on maybe uh maybe a half a dozen tomatoes and then the blooms dried up and fell off and and this has been a few weeks and nothing else is it, it hasn't bloomed since then are you feeding regularly what do you feed with and how often i feed with um well, it, I, it's got uh, Medina growing green in the pots because I, I uh-huh. do pots. Okay. And then I feed uh, regularly with uh, John's recipe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, in pour that in there. Um, of course, I do liquid seaweed and molasses. I've done cornmeal. I've done uh, Epsom salt. Um, but the cherries are doing great. It's just this yeah. one is not blooming. Well, I would keep feeding, and I would be a little patient. Uh, Lemon Boy is one of the tomatoes that I, I it's a re, it's become a real regular for me. That and there's a very similar one called Carolina Gold, and I'm I'm not sure. It may have been that little bit that little hot spell that we had. Uh, reduce the the flowering on it, but uh, it should it should come back into production again for you. My lemon boys typically go up till about July, at which point they shut down for the summer. But uh, maybe a little bit of extra fertilizer, and um, I, it sounds to me like you're doing everything right. I think that you know night temperatures probably at some point in your garden just made the made the lemon boy think that it was getting too hot too soon at uh nights like we were having right now they ought to come back in and put you know put some more tomatoes on and by the way of course when you run out of john's special recipe because you're not making it anymore i think you will find that medina's new liquid fish fertilizer is very very similar to john's special recipe a lot of people love that ladybug john special recipe and since the company changed hands and they're not producing it anymore when you run out 
switch over to Medina's uh, liquid fish fertilizer, and I think you'll find it to be very, very similar. Okay, I'll do that. I stocked up. Lori had a bunch over at Victoria, so <laughs> I got some, and uh, I've got a ways to go yet, but I'll keep that in mind for sure. Well, you know, I don't know how big your garden is, but I find I go darn <laughs> through darn near a gallon of fertilizer every time I, I feed everything in the garden, and uh, uh, it, all all things, I guess, must come to an end eventually, but when you run out, at least I just wanted you to know there's a good replacement out there. How does that compare with the has to grow? It's just, it, it has probably uh, a little less urea and uh, a little bit more uh, fish. You know, it's a cold-pressed fish that they use, which is by far the best. It's just, uh, you know, it's kind of like comparing Maestro Grove's dry fertilizers to Medina's. One of them is more manure-based, the other is more... Uh, uh, byproduct base, so to speak, and uh, they they just I don't know, they they just have a little bit different uh, source of nitrogen in them. I sometimes mix the two of them together, but uh, I've been real impressed. They're most uh, of the fish-based fertilizers I've not been real impressed with, but this new one Medina's making uh, seems to be real good to me. I will tell you once you dilute it, don't try to store it because it it will become aromatic, shall we say? But uh, it's it's the best, and I've used Alaska, I've used all the major brands, but I like Medina's better than any other I've tried. Does it have a special name, or just look for Medina? Uh, look for liquid fish. I, I'll have to look carefully at the uh, bottle. I got some of it just about the time they were ready to release it because Stuart knows that I experiment with a lot of different things. And I'm using it on uh, orchids. I'm using it on uh, a wide range of plants. And I've just been real impressed with it. And Plus, I love the fact that, uh, you know, I, if I close my eyes, it's kind of like taking a little vicarious trip to the beach after I've fed everything in the greenhouse. <laughs> with it <laughs> but uh anyway i just i tell you that i love john's uh special recipe fertilizer but i was real pleased to find one that i think is on the same order and i do i rotate i use it i alternate it with the hestero plant and some of the others because i just feel like you know the more varied a diet you give your plants the happier more productive they're going to be long term okay all right Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you let me know how it does now. And and if you like a big yellow tomato, the other one to look for is called Carolina Gold. But Lemon Boy has has done, I would say I've probably grown it for about four years. And three out of those four years, I had pretty long production on it. So hope yours pick up again. Let me know how they do for you. Well, I usually like to get celebrity, but there were no celebrity when I bought, and this was the only one, so I just took it. So, Well, it's, it's generally a pretty good tomato. I think we've all learned <laughs> shop early, even if you're not ready to put them in the ground, because this was, oh gosh, you know, taken from somebody who's been in the business. I started helping my grandfather transplant and pot up tomatoes for his business when I was five years old so I've been through a lot of springs in the plant business and I've uh, and it's a good thing I've I've never seen the demand as high as it was this spring and I think it's due to a number of factors and I hope it's the new norm so to speak but uh, I'll tell you there are a number of plants I'm going to get on in a little earlier and uh, if it's too too early to plant them I'm just going to bump them up into slightly larger pots because uh 
the growers just simply couldn't keep up this year, and unfortunately, uh, a lot of times they ran out of seed and couldn't resupply. So it's been a very unusual year, and we just have to learn from it. Well, I was at Earthworks probably the first week in March, and I told Lori, I said, well, it's too early for me to get tomatoes now. I'll, I'll be back another time. And she said, you better get them today or it'll be too late uh, because you need to get tomatoes in early for them to produce well. And I'm so glad I did because I've not been back to any nursery since then because of the COVID. And otherwise, I wouldn't have any. So I'm I'm really glad for her encouragement to say, get them today. <laughs> well, you tell Lori I said hello. It's been a while since I've had the pleasure of visiting with her, but they're good people over at Earthworks. Right. Okay. Thank you a lot. All right. It's going to be Joe and Faye and Kelly and John. Joe is next. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? Hey, it's just a beautiful morning out there this morning. Yes, sir, it is. Well, uh, I'm a little bit east of you uh, in the same area, and uh, so we caught a lot of that hailstorm the other night. Yes, sir. And uh, I had, this is the first time I've been able to get my uh, plumeria all the way through the winter and have it start really early in the spring, and I had beautiful, beautiful (laughs) leaves on it. And, boy, it just got hammered the other night. Yeah, I'm wondering, do I take those leaves off? Do I leave them on there? What What do we do to kind of, if you will, to fix it? Well, there's no fixing because uh, plants don't, well, I guess it's not true. Tree trunks do, but they, they don't heal, per se, like we do. But everywhere you've got green tissue, you've got chlorophyll absorbing the sun's energy, and you're, you're putting the strength into the plant. So um, where you've just got damaged leaves, uh, they're going to be ugly for a while. But if they are severely damaged, the plant's going to make them drop off. Some of those leaves are going to yellow and fall off naturally. But I would leave them on just because if if we try to make them blemish-free, we're taking away a big source of the plant's energy-gathering potential, and uh, I don't want to do that. Now, I'm going to tell you to kind of keep an eye on the trunks. I worry with plumeria a little bit about the trunks getting bruised. And this is going to sound a little weird, but if you see areas that, you know, that, that start to get soft or rotten-looking... What you want to put on there is a little bit of cinnamon. Cinnamon is a very good bactericide, and as you probably know, if you've grown plumerias for very long, every now and then you will get sort of a rot get started in them, and they just sort of get soft and collapse. And and actually sprinkling some cinnamon on that is one of the best ways to prevent that. So I'm not going to worry about the foliage, but I am just going to kind of run my fingers up and down those stems every now and then and if i feel anything that's getting soft or gushy that's the one thing i'm going to go after other than that is just give them a little time to regrow some leaves and because most of them has yours had yours really started flowering yet or were they just getting ready to no they had not started flowering but they had put on you know the 12 and 14 inch beautiful leaves i mean they were right it it looked like it was going to be an early flowering year for them yep 
Well, it probably will be because I don't think the flower buds were that damaged. The The hailstones that came down were somewhat devastating. We we had it here at the nursery, knock on wood. I didn't get it in my personal garden. But um, in looking, and it's funny, we were looking at, at leaves as we walked out last night, and the holes in the leaves of most of the plants are about four or five inches apart. So it's not like, I heard parts of Kerrville, the hail was piled 12 inches deep. And I don't think we got that east of Bernie, but I talked to several people that had a good deal of garden damage. But I think your Euplumeri probably going to come out and bloom, and hopefully we can forget about the leaf damage when we see the beautiful flowers and enjoy the fragrance. But um, I, the, I would not get in there and cosmetically be trying to do a whole lot. I would just be in there watching for any places that got really badly bruised where we could get some rot started. Okay, great. Thank you. May I ask one more question? Of course. Um, my sister lives in Sun City out by Georgetown, and yes, she's been having a dickens of a time finding plant tone. Uh, I believe that's a spoma. Yeah, it's spoma. And, spoma is uh, an East Coast company, and, and there's not really a local distributor is the problem. Um it's you, she can probably contact the espoma folks there'll be an address somewhere on that bag or bottle depending on which product she likes and they may be able to tell her who the nearest supplier is here in san antonio it's fanix nursery if she has reason to come to san antonio very often uh tell her to go over to fanix and stock up they're over on the east side of the city pretty easy to get to if you're coming down 35 but they are by far the maybe the biggest dealer in texas on espoma products okay great well thank you bob i hope you have a great weekend and i hope you do as well joe thank you for the call this morning Goodbye. You You too. Bye. Uh, Let's see here. Yeah, I think we have time to talk to Faye before we take our last break of the hour. Good morning, Faye. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Good Um, morning. That uh, uh, plumeria question uh, reminds me about three years ago, we had a really cold uh, night here. And Uh I somehow didn't get in my potted uh, plumeria that was a meaningful plant. Well, I talked to you about it and uh, didn't look very uh, promising. Well, that's a beautiful plant today, and so glad to hear it. Pr- <laughs> you uh, you encouraged me to just take care of it and and uh, see what happened. Um, I have some uh, bug questions. We have something that looks like a um, uh, bumblebee. It's mm-hmm. black, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm I don't like to get uh, stung too many times. So I'm asking you if you know of something that looks like a bumblebee but yeah, more black and yeah. They're- it, it's m- almost certainly one of the so-called mason bees. Uh, over here, we call them a cedar bee because they're they're solitary bees, unlike honeybees. They they live alone, so to speak. But the good news is they're probably twenty times better than the European honeybee for uh, pollinating in the garden. I don't. I honestly don't know if they sting. I knock on wood as I say this. I've worked around them for most of my life, and they are not aggressive in any way. So I would tend to leave them alone. I suspect it's just a big mason bee and absolutely nothing to worry about, something to be glad to have. Oh, good, good. Uh, well, uh, we'll give them care. And, and like you said, this doesn't seem aggressive, but uh, uh, that, that helps to know. <laughs> And then the other big bug problem is mosquitoes. Is there anything new on 
controlling the spe- the uh, mosquito population out here in the country where it's uh, well you know of course emptying emptying any standing water you you have i don't know of a long-term control you know hopefully they're going to get the bti and a smaller size package right now the smallest package they put it in is a couple of hundred bucks and i don't know why they're so reluctant to bottle it in a smaller quantity but um uh, anywhere you can't empty standing water, putting out the mosquito bits or the mosquito dunks, of course, will help with larval control. I still like the cedar oil sprays and, uh, Nature's Creation, great, great company. They are putting their cedar repel, they call it. It's a cedar oil spray in a RTS, ready to spray. You just hook it on the hose and go out and spray. And it will repel them for hours, if not a couple of days. And um, that, if you're going to be spending time in the garden, I think it's worth grabbing it and just make a quick spray around. You're not using very much of it at all, but the mosquitoes hate the cedar aroma. And um, cedar oil is not new, but having a cedar oil that's so easy to find and use, um, I'm sure you can, I hope you can find the Nature's Creation line over there because they, uh, it's actually a lot of their products are made over in the Houston area. So look for the Cedar Repel ready to spray and just, uh, you know, just a 10 second spraying of that around the garden will probably clear out the mosquitoes for a few hours at least so you can get out there and enjoy. Well, that's great. I'll look in, look them up and see if I, I may need to call the company as well. Uh, as your former caller there, um, I'm out of, out of ways from the city, so uh, right. <laughs> um, may have, have to work on that. Well, it's both that good and bad, there. but I I wouldn't trade trade it. I don't plan to move back to town. I'll promise you. And you're the same way, I'm sure. Oh no way! <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Bob. You're welcome, Faye. You have a wonderful weekend. Bye. All right, let's talk for a moment about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, and uh, I love talking about. I just love talking about service. I just, you know, it is so nice having a company that does such a good job. Not that you have to call them very often. We've had their roofs on my home here at Shades of Green, but I'll have to admit we do have some skylights. And while even monstrous hailstones do not uh, hurt a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof, uh, we did have a uh, we did have a hailstone go through a skylight with the storm we had a couple of days ago i call southwest metal roofing because they do replace skylights among the many other good things they do and i have to tell you it was probably five minutes before somebody was here to measure it and get get things in you know on the way to being fixed and of course that's just because uh they they had somebody that was working in the area but you know you just don't find just instantaneous response it's so hard to find somebody that really takes a personal interest in you well that's what they do at southwest metal roofing systems whether you're just asking about a roof whether you are planning maybe have some questions about it uh just once you get a southwest metal roofing systems roof on your home you stop worrying about your roof our roofs have been through big hailstorms, high winds Never a problem one, and we've had been using the roofs for a lot of years. And the thing that surprises many people is how reasonably priced they are. I know when we uh, were building a new groundwater district office up in Kendall County, I said we need a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof. The contractor and the architect both said, "Oh no, that'd be too expensive." And I said, "You call and find out." 
and both of them came back to me and said, wow, I didn't know that such a good roof could be so inexpensive. Learn what we've learned. It's simply they're the best in the business. Give them a call at 210-822-6868. That's Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. If you live west of San Antonio near Castorville, Lytle, Von Army, Divine, Hondo, or even Lackland Air Force Base, you now have a landscape and nursery business of your very own. It's Landscape Solutions and Nursery on Highway 90, four miles east of Castorville. Tell them what you're growing. They'll choose the very best soil. Not just any soil, it's customized, purely organic soil mix that consists of fully pasteurized aged manure and vegetable matter compost, several organic supplements such as bat guano, cotton seed meal, green and red sands, sphagnum peat moss, and more. But never biosolids. When the soil is this good, your plants, flowers, vegetables, and lawn are fantastic. Visit Landscape Solutions and Nursery, 3059 U.S. Highway 90 East, or online at soilforsale.com. That's soil, the number four, sale.com. Landscape Solutions and Nursery, open Monday through Saturday. Call 830-985-3747 for competitive prices and the best in soil mixes. Landscape Solutions and Nursery, 830-985-3747. Dave Ramsey here. Your heating and air system is one of the most expensive items in your home. Make sure it's working properly. Call my friends at Champion AC. Hi, I'm Ben Hubbard, owner of Champion AC. We are proud to be one of the largest veteran-owned and operated residential AC companies in Texas. Plus, we are the largest train dealer in San Antonio, which means we offer better AC units at better prices compared to others. I trust these guys. In fact, they have a military work ethic. At Champion AC, exceeding the standard is our standard. With Champion AC, you'll receive extra care with neighborly service and no pressure sales ever but my favorite is their transparent pricing with no gimmicks and no hidden costs you'll always know how much things cost so you can make the best decision for your budget so give us a call at 210-504-5555 or visit championac.com and tell them dave sent you you can almost taste it and it's so close it's your retirement do you have a written recipe for your retirement? Are you missing any key ingredients or do you even know? Well, tune in every Sunday at 1 to the Texas Financial Advisory Show. Join Brooklyn Chandler-Willie of Texas Financial Advisory as she discusses how to find the right mix for your retirement recipe. Listen to the Texas Financial Advisory Show with Brooklyn Chandler-Willie every Sunday at 1. Investment advisory services offered through Queen Bee Advisors. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening here. It's going to be Kelly and John and Robin and Steve, and let's talk to Kelly next. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, Just fine. Oh, good. Thank you. About four or five years ago, I made such a bad gardening mistake that I I just dropped it until now and 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 you had told me when i called up by my brilliant idea of mixing topsoil nice black soil with sand i actually created cement (laughs) so so my beautiful deep beautiful garden is full of what you you termed loosely cement right now now i've got a second wind and i want to get a a some heavy equipment out and dig out all of it. But I'm thinking, what could I use all that junky stuff on? Then I started thinking, hmm, I wonder how cement's rich actually made. Could I fill my <laughs> potholes? 
with it, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm, oh, yeah. I was wondering if you could, I mean, really, truly, I mean, I, I'm sure I could add some stuff to it, like Portland Cement, and then put put it in holes, like potholes. But mm-hmm. um, what would your advice be on that? Well, I don't want, I do, I don't want to contaminate any sure. areas with this stuff. You know, I, the I would do what Mother Nature does, and that is, you know, start trying to pick up the microbial life in it. You can always blend some compost into it, and this will get the process started of softening it up, um, adding dry molasses or liquid molasses, Medina Plus, anything that stimulates strong microbial life. Even though we can't see bacteria, they are the most numerous organism in the soil, and they actually take those clay particles and spread them out they have a little they call it sticky substance there's a material they produce that literally spreads out the clay particles and kind of glues them out apart from each other so it'll take a little while to soften it up again i mean overnight if you could buy a bunch of compost and mix in with it you would be back to a decent soil but then to maintain that i'm i'm just big into molasses i'm in big into anything that really stimulates bacterial life so you can turn that soil back into a viable soil if you want now um I don't know about, you know, fixing potholes or whatever because you saturated enough and even your cement's going to turn to a liquid cement at least temporarily. So I, I'm into a microbial life. I'm into seaweed. I'm into molasses. I'm into compost. Let's work about turning that soil back into good soil again. Okay, Bob, that sounds like a pretty practical idea. Well, I hope uh, good luck to everybody out there and don't mix sand with topsoil. <laughs> well, see, the the difference is that you have now learned from it, Kelly. I'll, I'll have to share uh, something that uh, just a saying somebody gave me this week, and they said, what is the difference in genius and stupidity? And the answer, of course, is, well, genius has its limits. Boy, I look at some of the things going on in the world today, and I think, yeah, stupidity has no limits whatsoever. But the people who are going to do well are the people who make a mistake and learn from it because the Lord knows we've all made plenty of mistakes. But uh, I'm glad you're bouncing back from it and getting back into gardening because it'll be a wonderful thing for you and your family. Oh, I appreciate it. And thank you for being there for us. You know, it's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. And uh, we'll talk again. I've just got a few seconds here before news. So John and Robin and Steve, you guys hang on. It is going to be a great day for gardening, whether you're out planting flowers or perennials, maybe redoing a little bit of the landscape, or... Maybe spend some time in that vegetable garden. Like me, you're probably picking, but there's lots of other things to do. And we'll talk about it when I come back here on KTSA Radio. And if you dial quickly, you might actually get through because there is an open line. <laughs> We're going to talk to John and Robin and Steve, and uh, although it may be taken by now. Anyway, beautiful Saturday morning out there. Sure hope you're going to get out and enjoy. And um, I think all the nurseries around are up and running once again. A lot of us are requesting that people wear masks just to be on the safe side. And uh, I think it's probably a good idea. And, you know, we still want to do the social distancing. We we sure don't want to have any more of this flare up and then have to go shut things down again. So we just all need to be thoughtful and reasonable and, uh, above all, get out and enjoy. There's just nothing heals like the sunshine does. Uh, back to the phone lines. Uh, John, Robin, and Steve. John is up first. Good morning, John. 
Hey, good morning, uh, Bob. Morning, so sir. Nice to talk with. Uh, nice to talk with you this morning. Uh, my Always, pleasure. Your show's been interesting. I've uh, had a, a little time to wait and listen. Um, got a couple of things that are going on with me, and not necessarily in the greenery of it, other than the fact that I'm being attacked by slugs in uh-huh. my back lawn. Okay. And also by the, I don't know what they call them. They're the, the, those varmints that actually land on your walls and leave their skull or their, their skeleton <laughs> when they go away. I, I, I don't know what they're called, but I understand they plant in the grass and then the, and the whatever their offspring eats the roots of my Augustine and I've got big bare spots that show up, which I have to saw it in. Well, what I think we're talking about. about yeah, we're talking about two different things. Um, yes. The yes. the June bugs um, are what lay the eggs, which make the grub worms, which are what are so devastating uh, to our grasses. Now, those shells that you see up on things, that is actually a cicada or, uh, you know, something closely related. Their larval state does very little damage to anything in the ground. They can actually spend several years years in the ground then when the time is right whatever that means uh they come up split along the back and fly away but they're basically noisemakers more than anything else but uh the uh maybe they keep you awake at night but at least they don't they don't do a lot of damage to the garden but grub worms are a whole different story and the problem with grubs is it's the damage is done before it starts showing up when you start losing grass to grub worms they actually actually probably did that damage six weeks ago and no matter what you do it's going to look worse before it looks better so my preventive thing on grub worm damage is watch carefully for the june bugs and when you start seeing june bugs it's time to put out the beneficial nematodes and we started seeing june bugs early march might have even been late february when we saw the first one so we are even starting now to see some damage the damage doesn't usually show up till it's start getting hot and dry but uh um about the only thing you can do on the damage is put some fertilizer down put a layer of compost down and the grass that they missed will grow back into that area now if you want to put out some beneficial nematodes you will have the benefit of controlling fleas and fire ants and any new grub worms that hatch out but the grubs that do the damage are these tiny little things that are barely an eighth of an inch long they call them the first and second larval instars of the grub worms and um, the nematodes kill those things almost instantly when you get your bigger grub worms it may take two three four weeks for the uh, for the nematodes to effectively kill them they they will render them oh gosh shall we say uh, they'll do damage to the grub worms where they can't pupate to form more june bugs but um uh at this point you're you're going to see more damage whether you do anything or not the nematodes are fairly inexpensive and like i say just because because they control fleas and fire ants as well nothing at all wrong with putting them out now but next time around be really proactive watch that porch light and when you see the the June bugs don't put it off. Go get yourself nematodes yeah. and and head off the damage before it gets started. And then that one last problem I've got is I just acquired a new little chocolate lab puppy, and she's oh, that's not a problem. <laughs> well, uh, the problem is what she has is 
uh, she loves grubs, or not grubs, uh-huh. but slugs. Slugs. Yeah. And I'm trying to keep her from nosing into the ground, and you know she noses in and pulls them out, and I'm not. I've, I've been told that's you know not good for their health. I think they call them lung ones. They can pick up from from uh, that may be an Australian. Yeah, it's uh, slugs. uh, The uh, mollusks, as we should call them, uh, they do carry. They are the intermediate host for a bunch of different parasites, but I don't think they're anything that are going to hurt your new puppy. But now to get rid of. of slugs there is a totally safe bait out there it's called sluggo s-l-u-g-g-o it's an iron phosphate bait the uh, older bug baits and all they were horribly poisonous and i would never recommend them but sluggo is will control the slugs and won't bother the pup uh, it's basically iron okay. phosphate and i wouldn't want her in there you know licking up tons of it but uh it is going to be pet safe the other natural way, and, and you've got a bit of a problem here, is that, uh, you know, the, the old-fashioned way that we used to get rid of snails and slugs is we put out uh, little dishes or whatever with beer in them, yeah, and uh, and they would, they would come in and drown. They weren't going after the alcohol. They were going after the yeast in the beer. But uh, my two labs think that uh, beer is God's gift to, uh, to dogs. <laughs> Believe it or not, all those how many hundred years, 200 years ago Ben Franklin was alive, Ben Franklin's comment was, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. And and I think the labs still agree with that. So I, I can't put beer out in any area that my two black labs can get to. And uh, anyway, well, you're in only, for... Yeah, she's only about nine weeks old. So I'm going through okay. all of the, you know, the crazy stuff that young puppies do. Right. Uh, patience is patience is something I'm having to buy. I get, uh, <laughs> I, I, I get that out of the beer bottle. I think. Oh <laughs> well. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, well, what? let me let me put on my my get to do a show with Doctor Kirby hat too, and you probably already know this, but um, parvo, of course, is a horrible disease. It can stay in the environment for a long, long time, and your puppy gets those three shots to make. Yes. Is it him or her? Her. Her, her to make Holly her Bell. Holly Bell. Yeah, Holly Bell. That's great. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and at nine weeks she's may have she's had her first shots, but right. it doesn't mean she's a third protected. The first set of shots gives maybe ten percent protection. The second set of shots gives maybe twenty percent protection. Holly Bell is not fully protected till two weeks after the third round of shots. So yes. be yes. be very careful about taking her anywhere in public and um just yeah. so many people think well i've had two out of three shots she's probably okay uh-uh no two weeks after no, the th- I, third shot yeah. is when she will be fully protected but she's, anyway yeah, she's quarantined she's quarantined my back lawn but uh whenever i let her out she stays in my back lawn i don't get her on the good front. Uh, one one final question i need to get off and let other people talk with you you're you're a, a book of knowledge i really appreciate what you what you know uh, what would you suggest in terms of the amount of nematodes that I would need to add to my back lawn? I've got a lawn that's, I mean, it's a, I live in a garden community, so it's, uh-huh. my lawn is about maybe 75 feet long and maybe 20 feet wide at the, okay. at the most where all the foliage is. Yeah. So, so we're looking at 1,500 square feet. Um, yeah. 
the the small package, and I like the nematodes that come on the little blue sponge. The small package has a million nematodes on on the sponge, and it does up to two thousand square feet. So one small sponge of nematodes is going to more than do the job for you. So, uh, and it, give me a. It, does it illustrate how to? how to prepare those i think you have to put it in a bucket of water is that right and it's, and you put it in water and soak for just a very few minutes and then spray it out you can read the fine print on the package it comes in if you get uh-huh. it from us we give you a little three by five big print version that tells you the same thing it's it's not complicated at all well i'm going to come down uh, today and and uh, get resupplied so um I appreciate the information. Thank you, and, and uh, for, also for the tips about the parvo. I really appreciate. It. My vet said the exact same thing. So we're well. We're you're going to a good vet. So uh, uh, since we're, I'm we're broadcasting from from my office today, I will read you a sign that we have on the wall up here because of my two that come to work with me every day. It says, "Caution: Dog can't hold his liquor." L i c k e r. I'm sure Holly Bell will <laughs> would appreciate that as well. So, con- con- congratulations on your new family, and uh, you enjoy. We'll talk again. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, John, very much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, Robin is up next. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for Good morning. so early every morning or every Saturday morning to do your show. Well, um, it's my pleasure. Uh, one is about thrift again. I have tried garlic spray on my roses. I've tried the spinosad, which um, which works pretty well, but I still have thrips. So I guess my next step is the nematodes and how do I do that? Well, see, the problem with the nematodes is that the nematodes are very, very effective at killing the larval stage of the thrips while the larvae are in the soil. Uh, nematodes can't climb. They move through the soil, but they can't climb up on your plant. So this is something you're going to have to be looking forward several months. You need to put in giant letters on that calendar next January put out nematodes for thrips because putting out nematodes now while it will control fleas and other things won't do anything about the thrips once they're up and out of the ground. So thrips are are, are easily prevented by nematodes, uh, but it has to be in the winter months, just like we use the nematodes to control ticks in the winter when they're down at ground level. At this point... um, Remember, with your garlic, you spray very early in the morning because that's when the stomata, the openings on the plant's leaves, are wide open. And that's going to be the only time the garlic really helps on those. But uh, uh, don't give in to the dark side and be putting on any of these systemic poisons. It's simply not worth it. But uh, uh, nematodes are great, but as far as controlling thrips, we're going to have to wait and do that in January. In the meantime, you might even, um, are you making your own garlic spray or are you buying a garlic spray? I, I bought it, and last time I was at Shades of Green, you were out of it. I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, there's plenty of it on the shelf. Uh, it is sold under the name of either Garlic Barrier or Mosquito Barrier. 
and um, okay. uh, you can even double up on the concentration. But uh, try to, when you spray it, try to hit the back of the leaves because this is where it's mainly absorbed, and try to do it very early in the day. But uh, the thrips, because they get inside of the bud before it opens, they are darn hard to mm-hmm. kill. But uh, the garlic should work. You can also try, if you wanted to do something a little different, try some of the cedar repel. The cedar oil is not as uh, systemic. It doesn't get into the plants as well. But there are people who are reporting uh, some pretty good thrips control with cedar. So it might be an alternative if your thrips have just, if you've got Italian thrips that have uh, developed a taste for garlic, shall we say. Mm. Okay, good. One more question, if you have time yeah. here. Go right ahead. Uh, we're, we're solarizing uh, an area uh, to use as a fall garden. It was just full of um, three-foot-tall grass and weeds and all. Uh-huh. And we uh, pulled up as much as we could of the grasses and weeds, and then we put down uh, plastic, uh, clear plastic with bricks to hold it down. And it's uh-huh. cooking and I'm wondering, are we killing mycorrhizae also and every good thing in there, too? And that's an excellent question. Um, yes, you are. But the good news mm-hmm. is that all of the, your beneficial bacteria, your beneficial fungi, including your mycorrhizae, will move back into this area very, very quickly. Now, it hasn't gotten hot enough yet for your solarization. I mean, this is this works really well July and August, but you know, this morning you get you get a chill if you were down underneath that plastic. So, you're going to need to lead to leave it down quite a while longer, but uh, you know, be reassured that the earthworms will move right back in if you want to speed up the process with your with your microbes you can always put down some compost you can put down uh, some dry molasses you can even get some powdered mycorrhizal fungi and re-inoculate but um, unless you're doing 10 acres which you're not doing obviously the, your, your microbes are going to move back in very very quickly so uh, don't worry about uh, damaging their populations they will recover Okay, and how long will mycorrhizae live in a container when you buy it? If they are dry, um, in most cases, I suspect, um, and that's a real good question, I'm going to guess probably a year. Uh, as, mm-hmm. as with most everything, I love to date it when I get it. Of course, you don't know how long it's mm-hmm. been on the shelf unless you're dealing with a you know, a really good uh, company, but um, I would I would plan on keeping them at room temperature. I would plan on using them up within a year. Uh, we've got a uh, fellow, David Steinbrenner, up in Bernie that, uh, you know, is actually packaging it. Next time I see him, I will ask him how long they feel like the shelf life is, but I'm going to say mm-hmm. six months to a year. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, thank you so much. I sure hope I can get a hold of this problem this Excellent (laughs) questions, and I think you will, Robin. Keep me posted on how it does. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right, it's going to be Steve and Kelly and David and uh, Carolyn. (laughs) Let's uh, let's get started. And uh, Steve is up first. Uh, Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing? 
I'm doing well. Can't read my own writing here, but it's uh, not not quite like sitting there looking up at a screen monitor telling me who's waiting. It's uh, Chris texts them to me, I write them down, but uh, just laugh at my own incompetence sometimes. But anyway, it's a good morning and uh, off to a good start. Okay, I had. A, let me just get to the uh, question. I had a, I have a garden. I have tomatoes. I have beans. I have squash mm-hmm. and uh, peppers. And they got a significant amount of hail damage. So I was wondering what I should do. Now, there's some uh, stems that are just broken. Uh, If I should trim those, trim the bad areas, or just let Mother Nature take her course and uh, do what uh, is none? Or uh, because I I have probably 25% of my tomatoes are on the ground from the damage. Yeah. I would I wouldn't do anything for a few days okay. because some things that you know some things may be bent but not broken other okay. things are truly snapped off and they're not going to recover anything that just seems to shrivel and you know get limp yeah you might as well go ahead and trim it off having that rotting foliage is not going to be a good thing having having rotting foliage up against green foliage uh, it just isn't a good idea Above all, I would probably, and hopefully you're not at this point, but I'm going to look and say, is there anything beyond recovery here? Are my beans just done for? Is my squash done for? Because I planted more squash last week. I planted my okra last week. I planted another crop of beans. It's certainly not too late uh, to plant more. And if anything is really severely beaten up, and if you have the room to do so, uh, I would probably stick a few more seeds in the ground because I don't want you a month from now to be saying, oh, man, I shouldn't have thought these things were going to come back out. I should have just replanted at the time. And you're going to have to look at it and make that decision. Now, tomatoes, um, if you have the determinate tomatoes, if they have a lot of damage on them, I'm not going to be real optimistic for those. Uh, the indeterminate, the ones that are basically just a vine, if there's anything left of them, they're going to come out and, you know, six weeks from now, you're never going to know there was a hailstorm. But your determinants look very carefully at. So, um, I, I, you know, again, if you've got room to plant a few additional things, I absolutely would do that. If you okay. don't, I'd be looking at it and just saying, is it going to recover or is it not? Because seed's cheap and it comes up and produces really pretty quickly. Yeah, the beans and uh, the squash look pretty destroyed. There's just a lot of scarring on the on the yeah. branches of the tomatoes, but it looks like they're starting to heal a little bit. So I'll just leave yeah. those as is and replant the others. That would be my plan. Okay, and I have another question. We have a water company coming through San Antonio. They're through Eminent Domain. They're going to take a portion of our wooded areas uh, through a neighborhood. Uh, and uh, I just want to be proactive. We have a lot of uh, oak trees. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, wondering, should I just start putting out um, cornmeal uh, drench? and water around the area because I know that they're not going to, if they cut the trees, they're not going to, you know, apply uh, sealant around them if they need to. Well, I think you would be very wise to put out because, uh, as you've heard us discuss, cornmeal, whole ground cornmeal, creates this uh, condition we call systemic induced resistance or systemic acquired resistance. And... Even I have very little respect for most pipeline companies. They're just uh, they're they're terrible. And uh, don't get me started on uh, the the 
uh, what is wrong with some of these uh, CCNs, as they call them, Certificate of Convenience and Necessity, because some of the water companies really abuse that. But realize, as you probably do, that an oak tree can pick up oak wilt through its root system if that, those cut roots are left exposed. And uh, so I think you would be very, very wise and encourage your neighborhood association, your homeowners. I mean, go to a feed store, go to a feed mill. And uh, at this point in your own yard, it's very effective, you know, to make your corn water tea and pour around the trees. But in some of these areas where that's just not practical, at the very least, get out and just dust it heavily with cornmeal. I mean, we did that for years and successfully stopped oak wilt before we learned that we could, you know, do it with corn water tea using a lot less cornmeal. But out in areas where it's not practical, man, I'd I'd be dumping cornmeal up and down that corridor okay. uh, i'd do it now i'd probably do it again in 30 days okay and then also i have a couple of large like century oaks one is probably in diameter looking at it right now maybe 60 inches another one is probably about 45 do, uh-huh. um, with all their the excavation and stuff like that is there going to be any damage to that these these are probably 30 feet away from where they're going to be working 30 30 feet away that? Now, 30 feet away, you're probably fine. Uh, my arborist friends tell me, and this is a little bit of a simplification, but take however many inches in diameter that tree is. Let's say the tree's 48 inches in diameter. Uh, divide that in two and change it to feet. 48 inches divided by two is 24. If they're 24 feet away, then you're in pretty good shape. Okay. Um, if they are, and, and uh, you know... How, how do you deal with jerks? Uh, that's not the word I'd like to use. But um, here's one thing that a lot of people don't realize, and I see so much damage when people are having to replace a sewer line and things like that. You can dig a hole pretty easily and pretty effectively with something called an air spade. There are options to getting out there with a backhoe and just ripping away. And I tell this to people all the time, in that yard where you have your beautiful oak trees and you want to come in and trench and maybe you have to have a new sewer line, maybe you're doing something to the sprinkler system, it's not that expensive to pay somebody with an air spade who can literally dig a trench with air without damaging the roots, and then you simply put your pipe, just stick them underneath the roots, whether it's electrical conduit, whether it's uh, water lines, anything else. But using an air spade for trenching purposes, if you have to get very close to a tree, is just, uh, in my opinion, is just the only way to go. And uh, not a lot of people know that, and not everybody is willing to spend the money, because it, it does cost a few dollars an hour to have somebody do this. But there are other options to a backhoe. Okay. Yeah, since you brought that up, the other thing is, under the um, canopy of this uh, one large century oak, I have an area that's covered with uh, some gravel. I had some gravel put in earlier. Uh, it's under the drip line, and not all the way, but do I should I take that away? No. The gra- no. And you should not use anything under the gravel. If you put plastic or a weed block underneath the gravel, that needs to go, and that needs to go right now. Okay. But okay. gravel, yeah, my God, I, you know, living in the hill country, yeah, yeah. That, that's practically what is only thing under the ground on a lot of trees uh, across some of my okay. land. So gravel's not bad, but the stuff okay. they sometimes put under it is. Okay, even if it's compacted and even if it's just like a solid sheet of gravel that's been, it's almost like cement. 
Well, there's a difference in gravel and base material. Base has a lot of clay mixed with it, and that can, in effect, waterproof the soil. That could be an issue. But just gravel, no. The air, and I'm more concerned about air than water. I mean, water's going to find its way in, but oxygen to a plant's roots are just, that's just critically important. And um, the air's going to find its way through rock. Uh, so I I wouldn't be, you know, losing any sleep over this. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so very much. You're always a wealth of information, Bob. Well, it's always a pleasure being here for you, and I appreciate the call. You have a great weekend, Steve. Thanks okay. for you it. You too. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Back to the phone calls. It's going to be Kelly, David in Stockdale, Carolyn, and then David and Bernie. Uh, good morning, Kelly. Good morning. And good morning. Okay, I have a simple question. Um <laughs> Uh, our chickens, and this isn't exactly a gardening um, uh, <laughs> question, so I'm yeah. going to shake things up this morning for you. Um, our chickens have um, these littler fleas, um, and so we put out the nematodes before it rained, uh-huh. and uh, we dusted them and um, their coop with diatomaceous earth. Very good. Um, and so uh, someone had told us that uh, I guess their parents have been using, like, dusted lime. And mm-hmm. I it was a little um, uh, apprehensive about using that before I asked if there was any negative unintended consequences with that one. With well, lime. you know, we already have so much lime in our soils. Uh, of course, you know, limestone rock is basically calcium carbonate. And, um, I, I have not heard of that. Chickens get a special flea called the stick flea, and I don't think there'd be anything wrong with it, but I think your diatomaceous earth is going to do the job for you. Um, I will tell you, you know, tomorrow I have the pleasure of doing an hour with Dr. Kirby from 11 till 12. Dr. Kirby loves chickens and has his own chickens right here on the edge of Alamo Heights. So um, if you want to talk to somebody that is a real chicken expert, uh, give Dan a call tomorrow. Uh, some Well, call early if you want to get through probably about the time I, I get through with gardening. Go ahead and call in. I, I think your diatomaceous earth and your nematodes were going to take care of the problem, but I'll have to defer to him. And I'll try to remember to ask him that question. Let me make a note to ask because Dan about. Uh, yeah. They're hard to get rid of. I mean. Oh, they are. I know. Yeah. We had them one year before, and we basically just gave up. I mean, it was. It was awful, um, and so I'm just hoping the nematodes and the diatomaceous earth work. And um, well, I know the nematodes will get the stick-tight fleas that are in the soil, but on the chickens themselves, um, I yeah, they're certainly you don't want them to suffer. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I want the fleas to suffer. I could care less about that, but I certainly don't want the right. chickens to suffer. But I yeah, think diatomaceous I mean. earth. Is, uh, but I'm, I'm making myself a note here to uh, ask Dr. Kirby about that tomorrow. Um, lime is not going to hurt anything. I just don't know how effective it's going to be. Now, there, there are many different forms of lime, and you would definitely need to get something, you know, safe for pets. And you don't, don't ever, there's something they call quick lime, which is sodium hydroxide, and that's not lime at all. That's, that's horrible stuff, and don't, don't get anything like that. But, uh, just powdered lime. Um, 
I think I don't think it'll do anything the DE doesn't do. I'll put it that way. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I'm sorry I can't give you a more definitive answer, but uh, I'll do my best to find out for you. Okay. I'll listen tomorrow at 11. All right. Thanks Thank much, Kelly. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. David is up next. Good morning, David. Good morning. Hey, I morning, sir. call screener wrong. I asked your call screener about crickets. I really wanted to say grasshoppers. And grasshoppers is <laughs> just in my green bean. Uh, okay. Yeah, and uh, I think Chris was pulling your leg a little bit, which he is known to do. Uh, grasshoppers... If you, there, there are two ways to deal with grasshoppers. Uh, first is to get rid of the grasshoppers. And there is a bait you can put out and it's called NOLO, N-O-L-O, stands for Nosema locustri. And it is a bait you can scatter that is a bacterial bait that's safe, but pretty good at reducing grasshopper numbers. And, uh, if you, you know, if you have a large area and lots of grasshopper problems you may want to look into getting that the second way is to put something on your plants that makes them less attractive to grasshoppers and there's a product out there it's called kaolin k-a-o-l-i-n kaolin clay it's also sold under the name of uh, Surround, S-U-R-R-O-U-N-D, Surround W-P. And it's a, like a powder that you mix with water and spray on the foliage. And the grasshoppers apparently can't eat it. Apparently they can't digest it. Apparently it messes them up. So long term, for summer long control, uh, and you want to get your NOLO out early while the grasshoppers are still small. But um, you might, and, and kale and clay is what potters use. You'll probably find it at a hobby shop, but sometimes as an immediate way to stop grasshoppers, uh, it's a great thing just to spray on the foliage so the grasshoppers go somewhere else. Well, great. That's great advice. I really appreciate it. And, and Chris found out that if you, if you pull my leg, I'll pull yours back. <laughs> he is very deserving of that. He's, I don't know. I'm, I'm so blessed with good, good engineers back at the studio. And Chris is one incredibly sharp person. Uh, you know, he's the guy that makes Trey Ware look good in the mornings early. So, uh, you, you feel free to tease him as much as you like. And, uh, I look forward to hearing the results, Kelly. My wife says, my wife says I picked to a fault. And I guess Chris found that out. Well, our our uh, line here at uh, Shades of Green is harassment's a sign of affection. I always tell our new employees, hey, don't worry if people tease you. Worry if they don't, because if they don't tease you, they don't like you. So uh, you get out and have a great a, weekend. I, <laughs> we'll talk again. Told me that one. I had a boss told me that one time. He said, I only, I only pick on the people I like. The people I don't even talk to, they're the ones that are going to go someplace else. <laughs> As it it should be. Thank you for the call. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, let's talk to uh, David next. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning. This is uh, David. How are you doing today, Bob? I'm fantastic. How about you? Good. Good. Hey, I got a question there. We're trying to grow some tomatoes, and for the past couple of years, we have been getting tomato in blossom rot. We put oyster shell on it. We fertilize it. We put manure out. But we just can't seem to ever get rid of that. Well, you're missing the you're missing the one simple product you need, which is Epsom salts. Um, You know, yeah, um, blossom end rot is not a disease. It's a problem that results from an imbalance imbalance of uh, calcium and magnesium in the soil. 
And okay. if I, when I plant my tomatoes, I put a couple of big handfuls of Epsom salts, uh, and, and you're not putting it in the hole. It's not something that you want the tomatoes to take up. You're sort of scattering it out over the surface of the soil because what you're doing is actually changing the soil chemistry a little bit. Now, um, if your tomatoes are up and growing, if you're having a problem with blossom end rot, uh, we want to make it happen a little bit faster. So take your Epsom salts and put about two tablespoons of Epsom salts per gallon of water. Stir it up and just pour that around the plants. Uh, it's not going to stop uh, the deterioration on the, the tomatoes that already have the blossom end rot started on them. Uh, and I hate that name because it's not really a rot, and you can, when the tomatoes are ripe, you can slice off the bottom of the tomato, and the top of it is still perfectly good. But um, yeah. you can uh, you can go ahead and just dissolve your Epsom salts in water, pour around your tomatoes, and any new tomatoes that develop should be free of the problem. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Have a good morning. You do the same. Thank you for the call this morning. Goodbye. All right. Back to gardening here. We'll have time to talk to Carolyn and David. Then it'll be time for Howard Garrett. Uh, let's get right back to the phone calls up Fort Worthway. Good morning, Carolyn. Good morning. It's a, it's a good morning. It's a little cool this morning, but it, we've had beautiful days. <laughs> I tell you what, it's not going to be long before we're going to really wish we had these cool mornings back again. But it it is beautiful down here. I'm glad y'all are off to a good start as well. Okay, I do have a problem, and it's on one of my tomatoes, and it's the uh, it's the uh, uh, yellowing of the bottom leaves. I took those yeah. leaves off, and I spray. I have been using corn. I started using cornmeal, and but the uh, hydrogen peroxide. I'm wondering. What the ratio is? I you mentioned it last week, and I didn't uh, yep. didn't get that. Mm-hmm. I I would use about two parts water to one part peroxide. So if I put a cu- in my sprayer, I put a cup of uh, peroxide, two cups of water. That would be if you're using a pump up sprayer or something like that. If okay, uh, okay. Yeah, if you, gosh, I don't know that you could get it strong enough in a hose in sprayer. You'd have to set it up for the well, maximum I w- I w- amount. Yeah, but, I wouldn't use a hose end, and I don't yeah. have a little hand sprayer. It seems like every time I get one of those little things you spray <laughs> with the hand, they don't last long. They don't last uh, long. It's been so, my experience, exactly. But, no, the little pop-up sprayer, uh, two cups water, one cup peroxide should work perfectly. Okay. The other is a quick question on purple hope, uh peas. Uh, uh-huh. they, those leaves are distorted. Uh, I have never had distorted leaves like that. Now, I get that on peppers. And then right. they outgrow it, but I don't know if the peroxide would help that. It will help that, and the purple-eyed, uh, purple <laughs> can't, can't say it now, The uh, all types of black-eyed peas, I'll just put it that way. Uh, but the purple hulls, uh, yeah, the peroxide will straighten that up, but all that you really need there is just hot weather, and that's coming. So, uh, But if you have any left over, you'll definitely get the the proper non-deformed leaves you'll get them a lot more quickly if you do we'll give them a peroxide spray okay then another thing i'm it's it's very difficult up in this area to get organic things and uh, i went to a large nursery uh, a very large nursery that told me that well anyway he they they told me that uh, the manager said that uh uh, eggplant doesn't grow in the then the summer it grows in the winter oh. so I just uh. kind of <laughs> here. That, that I thought would make your morning but anyway 
Uh, I had the only thing I could find in, uh, around here is the soil mender or potting soil, and it looks like it has coconut husks or something in it. You know, it's uh-huh. string. You know, is that okay for potting soil? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. They call coconut husks, they call core, C-O-I-R. It's a great substitute, actually, for Canadian peat moss and should be pretty good potting soil. Oh, okay. So I did get, uh, but that was the only kind of potting soil I could get was the soil mender. So that's those are my questions. Thank you very much. Excellent questions they are. I'm going to make a point in just a moment here. I'm making notes as we go to ask Howard if he has any new favorite organic nurseries over Fort Worth Way to see if we can't get you a little help there, too. Okay. Thank you very much. That would You're be welcome. nice. Okay. You're welcome, thank Carolyn. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right, back to gardening on a gorgeous Saturday morning, and uh, let's find out how things are up in the Metroplex. Good morning, Howard Garrett. How's everybody? Everybody is enjoying a almost chilly, just short of chilly morning down here. It was low 60s at my house this morning, and uh, <laughs> it sure does feel good, because I know, unfortunately, that's going to change pretty soon. Well, I have, I have the doors open and the screen shut this morning, too, because the mosquitoes are trying to come out now. But, yeah, we've got kind of a nice little uh, cool Christmas to the air as well. So it's been pretty interesting. It got a little warm yesterday, but I, I don't remember having this this much pleasant weather this uh, far into the late spring or early summer. And that's the same way we've been. Really, really pretty mornings. It gets hot in the afternoon. We've nudged 100 degrees a couple of times, but uh, I remember too often this time of year when you wake up and it's already hot. So I'm just, I'm just thankful for every one of these good days. How'd y'all do weather-wise this week? We we got some kind of violent stuff down here. Well, we didn't have any uh, bad stuff like some people did, but we had some pretty good rain. It. Uh... It's been pretty amazing. The soil moisture is still really, really good. I, I, you know, I see people running the sprinkler systems because they've probably incorrectly got them set on automatic. But uh, right. we haven't hardly run our sprinkler system uh, at all yet. It, when it gets hot, I'll turn it on and I'll find out probably that I've got some heads aren't covering well <laughs> that I should have had the guys come over and get squared away, and I'll be in trouble. But I haven't even watched it run yet. Yeah, that's a that's a wonderful thing, and yeah, we're pretty much the same way. And I just get frustrated with all the dummies. You're driving down the street; it's pouring rain, and the sprinkler system on that building next to you is running running like mad. But uh, it's uh, it, it's been a wonderful spring. Uh, we actually had we had hail around uh, the area. We we had a moderate amount of damage here at the nursery earlier this week, and a couple of very large limbs down. But at least none of that tornado stuff and uh my garden has avoided the hail some people up in near bernie uh got pretty messed up this past week but hey it's it's texas is springtime and those thunderstorms just come rolling around yep that's right oh speaking of mosquitoes um anything new or different we've We've only had, really just in the past couple of weeks, we've started having mosquitoes show up, but I know we're going to get it after the rain, so anything new on the horizon? No, I don't think there ever will be. I I think it's just something you have to deal with. The BTI uh, sprays and then the water, 
the standing water and the traps, like we recommend, yeah. actually setting yeah. them up on purpose to uh, you know attract the uh, mosquitoes, then have the females lay uh, their eggs in contaminated water, contaminated with BT, sagging right. water. Right, and I think the cedar flakes and the cedar oil and the garlic and those kind of things help, but I think you have to change it. Uh, what you're doing, I don't think you can do the same thing over and over again. I think the, I think the mosquitoes get used to it. Well, it's <laughs> mother Mother Nature's uh, little little detriment to summertime. But uh, the other thing we're I'm starting to get a lot of calls about is grasshoppers, and we are able to get the Nolo. I'm glad that they've got it back on the market, and um, uh, so we're we're still recommending the Nolo for young grasshoppers. The kale and clay, if people want something to spray on their plants, uh, anything new in your world for grasshopper control. Well, we've had a, a, a listener give us reports for the last several years, and he he swears by uh, a system that uses nolobate and beneficial nematodes, and he huh. does it on pretty pretty large uh, property, and he said that it, it just absolutely uh, helps, and he has no problems where all of his neighbors uh, do have problems. I think that if you have grasshoppers actually attacking and you haven't done any of this stuff, and and grasshoppers are different than any other insect because they don't attack just stressed plants. They come in and right. do anything in their path. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, you can, the beneficial nematodes and the nolobate, apparently they can, kind of like mosquitoes, can even detect being there and stay away from it to some degree. Once huh. they're on your plants, uh, feeding the spinosad products will work. They're, really? They ac- absolutely will work. And um, the, uh, the the kale and clay, the nolo, the uh, uh, surround, surround product, if you, yep. if you put it out right, and I've experimented with a lot of different surfactants in it and various things, and I found that you don't need any of that. Just use the surround, mix it according to the label directions and the particle film sticks on the uh, plants fine what it it does it it confuses them it doesn't really do anything physically it just confuses them and they stop feeding go somewhere else so it it actually works the only problem with it is anybody in the business of selling uh produce it uh, creates a cosmetic situation yeah. that you have to deal with because that yeah. that particle film that's on the uh on the fruits and vegetables will definitely show up. But oh, it yeah. Works. Yeah. It works. Well, in the flower garden is where, you know, I, I, it's where we usually recommend if people just can't control with anything else. I also think that keeping bird feeders out, you know, this time of year when the birds are raising so many little ones, even the seed eaters like cardinals and things like that, they eat a lot of bugs because uh, little developing birds need the protein. And uh, got got birds around, they will work. They will devour a lot of grasshoppers along with caterpillars and other things. We've had more birds this year than I've ever seen. I think I've mentioned it before. And we don't have uh, bird feeders. We don't feed them, feed them anymore because of the rats yeah. from the uh, creek. But we have a lot of different plants. I keep adding more and more plants that have seeds uh-huh. and berries and things like that. And that related to um, the air pollution changes that, because less people have been driving, might have mm-hmm. something to do with it. I don't, I don't know. But boy, we've had a lot of birds this year. It's just 
been far, far heavier than I've ever I've ever noticed before. And it's all kinds of birds. It's little bitty birds, and it's big, all the big <laughs> thrushes and and cardinals and crows and everything. It's been really kind of fun this year. You you sound like us because we have, and I have no idea what all they are, but those little bitty birds that love to stay in the foliage where you can never see them. You're aware of the movement, and every now and then you see them just kind of dart in and out, but that's kind of like what what exactly the way we describe them are these uh, little ones, and, uh, and there's just, uh, there's just so many interesting things out there, and you know, beyond the the ones that we don't like, like the English sparrows and the starlings and grackles, even though they they eat a a lot of bugs too. But oh, yeah. man, Mother yeah, Nature, sure. Away too, sure. I'll never forget one year I was actually shredding on the tractor, and I was shredding a field, and I was literally wearing a face mask because the grasshoppers were so thick. And while I was working on one field, I saw a whole flock of grackles came in and landed in the second field. When I got over there, there was not a grasshopper in sight. So uh, even even some of the obnoxious ones help them out to some degree. But well, my, uh, my uh, column, I'm doing a column, uh, uh, three columns right now that are related. The one that just ran <clears throat> was about wasps, and I talked uh-huh. about the... Uh, the benefits they're all beneficial and the ones that are the dangerous I went from the ones that won't sting you at all trichogramma and braconids all the way to right. the uh, Texas uh, yellow jacket the hornets that are very very dangerous and, and mm-hmm. you really need to hire somebody to take care of them and my next call is going to be about spiders and the uh, the third one will be about snakes and that's one where everybody's going to really freak out <laughs> going to say tarantulas may scare people half to death but uh oh i love the big old garden spiders the you know and and like you say it's it's fun sometimes if you've got the big old and how do you pronounce it the archiope or something like that Ariope. Ariope. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's, it's the one that's commonly called a garden spider the only thing yeah. bad about that spider is that they tend to build their web so that when you walk around <laughs> through the gate the web hits you right in the face <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but it's it's and uh it's kind of fun to grab a little moth or something and throw it into the web or a little tiny grasshopper or something like that and it's just fascinating how fast the spider yep. can move and how yep. it totally changes the material how it just takes and wraps and wraps and wraps and then uh they go back and feed on them at their leisure but uh you know whole malcolm beck and his lessons in nature there there are just so many interesting things in the garden if we just open our eyes and enjoy yeah it's it's fun to watch all that stuff and it's i've really altered my recommendations a lot because when when you put out something, I have a little bit of trouble with some of the contractors because they like to spray the essential oil products on a yep. regular basis. 
And, yeah. you know, they're, they're organic, and we can use them if we need to, but you've got to always remember that they will kill some of the products worse than others. But they will, a lot of them will kill the beneficials, including those little helpful spots. And I think that's another thing that, that we as organic folks, uh, the difference in us and the people that still spray the toxic stuff is I try to be, other than, you know, putting out uh, some of the nematodes, I'd have to say that I'm far more reactive than I am proactive. I don't do any preventive spraying really at all, at least with any products like that. I spray with seaweed. I spray with Garrett juice. I spray with, uh, you know, some things that are going to improve plant health. But I just don't believe in uh, getting out and spraying even our, our natural products if you don't have a problem. Well, I think spraying the, the beneficial things like we recommend actually does help. We have to be careful not you know, claiming that those are pest control techniques, but they actually are indirectly because they set up conditions on the foliage and stems that where the uh, beneficial life, the microbes, are stimulated, and that's got to have some uh, effect on helping control uh, pests, you know, and, and, and when there's air pollution, which there is, you know, we don't live with perfect air no matter where we live. The bigger the cities are, the more the problem is, but I think doing the foliar spraying and the drenching all over the entire plants like we've been talking about really does help a lot. Oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. And just, I mean, even indoors, the more plants you have, the better your air is going to be because uh, we still, yeah, we still keep the book on the shelf growing fresh air. Um, and, you know, even NASA, even the EPA is uh, I really recognize that plants are the best air purifiers we have, better than anything man can make. And By the way, I wanted to give you a, uh, an update on what I think I brought up last uh, week, the uh, viburnum, the shiny leaf evergreen viburnum, yeah. aut- autism, or what, what is the uh, most common scientific name? I uh, think odor, odoratissima. Odor, odoratissima, or japonicum, yeah. it's sold as also. Right. We we made cuttings before I talked to you last week and put it inside uh, in some containers and also two outside on each side of the fireplace. They still look absolutely perfect. Wow. Today. And, and there's little white buds forming real slowly, but forming on the stem down in the water. And I'm pretty sure huh. those are going to pop out and be, be roots. So it's... That's probably why it's lasting so long. It's just a gorgeous uh, uh, arrangement to have. And uh, we've got some in shade inside, never get any sun, and some that uh, get quite a bit of light, and they're all hanging in there very well. So that plant's worth uh, planting just for that use, if nothing else. Well, you're exactly right. and uh, But it's it really the whole viburnum family, and it is a, a huge bunch of different species. And I think it's interesting that even within one genus like that, we have... Uh, we have deciduous ones like the uh, rusty black haw, and then we have all the evergreen ones. We have ones at the uh, the old viburnum suspensum sandanqua is probably the most deer-proof shrub that I know of. In fact, you drive through a couple of communities around us that have so many deer, and uh, that's going to be the predominant shrub in the landscape because the deer simply will not touch that one. 
And which one is it again? This is the best. That's the uh, the uh, viburnum suspensum. Uh, common name of it is Sandanqua. It's one of the cases where the common name's worse than the botanical name, but uh, viburnum yeah. suspensum. And uh, it will also tolerate blazing sun. That's one thing about the uh, odoratismum and all of its many forms, the mirror leaf, the chendo, so under a lot of different names. But I think they are happiest with morning sun or part shade. But the old suspensum, you can stick it out in blazing afternoon Texas sun, and it just uh, soaks it up just fine. Yeah, it's a good plant. Another one that it would be interesting to see if any of these other Viburnums would hold up as a cutting like the yeah, one we yeah. talked about earlier. I've got one that I first saw in uh, Fort Worth at the uh, uh, Botanical Gardens over there. They had it uh, as you walk down into the rose garden that they completely destroyed and tore out when the rose rosette thing panic uh-huh. came around. But it's called Rustleaf Viburnum. It has real uh-huh. long leaves and they're extremely rough and dark dark green and i have uh, quite a few of them in the backyard and it's a good one too it's tough as nails is that refigulum i don't know why i think that is the uh, uh, species there it's a good one ah excellent speaking of fort worth i have a regular caller from there and she was saying that she has so much trouble finding organics around Fort Worth. Are there nurseries that you know over there? I know we used to have two or three good ones in Fort Worth, but do you have anybody you recommend in Fort Worth as far as being largely or totally organic? Well, I can mention a couple specifically, but then there's a little uh, a bit of help on this w- little website called DirtDoctor.com. <laughs> I was going to bring that up and that you have a great listing there, but uh haven't convinced everybody to do that. And I occasionally run into the dinosaur that says, but I don't have a computer. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, yeah, we do too. Uh, the uh, Russell Feed uh, people have several locations and some of them are in the fort worth uh area uh archie's garden land over there uh is into it uh, pretty well uh, but actually very well the only problem they've got is some of their employees are kind of old hands you know and they'll tend to yeah. uh recommend the chemicals first and then say oh if you want to do organic here's what you can uh, do uh, as well but they do have a lot of the products that we talk uh, about and then Marshall Grain has got a place, Blooming Colors, uh, I would recommend all those. They have a pretty uh, nice uh, arrangement. There's two ways on our website to find the stores. One is just find a store, and it lists people all over the country that sell any kind of organic product at all. Doug put that together years ago. And then there's one called Dirt Doctor Destinations. These are both under products, the mm-hmm. button up at the top of the page. And the right. Dirt Doctor destinations are people that are getting the uh, uh, distribution from Horizon and have those specific products that we uh, talk about and that advertise with us on the show and all that kind of thing. Very good. So Very a couple, good. couple of different sources for folks there. Well, that should help Carolyn a great deal. I'm sure she's still listening, and uh, I know she listens to you as well. So that's... Uh, that's a good thing. Any special things coming up? Are you back to doing very many appearances, or is that sort of down here that's just sort of shut down? Everybody's still encouraging people to wear masks and, of course, do the social distancing. So uh, uh, we, you know, we're trying to figure out 
what to do this fall with seminars and things. I think we're going to kind of poll some of our customers because the people that watch the news all the time are still terrified of this, while an awful lot of folks um, are just learning to, to live with it and maybe wash more frequently and adjust some of our habits a little bit. But uh, what's what's the general attitude, and is the dirt doctor out doing uh, nursery appearances anymore right now? Not yet, but we're going to be revving all that back up. My speaking uh, engagements are probably going to continue to increase, and we may start doing even more uh, electronically uh, as well. Uh-huh. We've had uh, we've had great success with the class, especially with this uh, give you know buy one and give one to a friend two for one kind of deal. People have really been taking advantage of that, and so we're Good. leaving it running for a while we'll probably do more of that kind of thing but per you know getting together and speaking in person i really uh get a lot of energy out of it and i think it's beneficial so we will definitely continue to do that once things loosen up a little bit more have you talked to the mother earth news people are they hoping to get back to their big gatherings or uh, no, any idea where uh, they not stand? too much. They've changed uh, who's running things, and I think you might uh-huh. see them pulling back on having those big events. The problem with those big old events is that after they have their customer base come to them, you know, they, they are like, oh, I've, I've seen all that, and I don't know if I need to go again. Now, mm-hmm. and then this coronavirus thing, you know, basically shut the whole thing down. So it's going to be interesting to see if they continue to do uh, the ones like they've done them in the past. I think you're going to see them do more on specific things like at Joel Saladin's ranch where it costs uh-huh. a whole bunch more money to, to go, but... Yeah, but there's a smaller number of people. And it's more of a hands-on kind of thing. We might do some at some point, having people come in and see an air spade operation doing mm-hmm. the entire sick tree treatment on a tree or something like that. You know, that may be more appropriate than the regular uh, big events where they had 150 different speakers and all that stuff. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's you know again, the events are. They're fun because of the diversity. I mean, you you go to something like the Mother Earth News or or some of the others, and you're going to see a lot of things that are new to you, and then you're going to find some things that you you know may very specifically be interested in. So, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. I know uh, we're going to be interested to see. They have. I'm glad they didn't cancel. But some of our uh, gift shows that we go to, they pushed them back. It looks like we're going to be doing more traveling in August than we usually do in July. But um, I'm glad to see they just haven't out and out done away with them. But it's um, it's it, things are different. It's uh, I, I really look forward to getting back to it because there's just as wonderful as websites are, as wonderful as DirtDoctor.com is, are great information sources. But for products, they just to pick it up and look at it and be able to judge the quality, there's just no substitute for that. Uh, I think I think we'll get back uh, going. I think it'll be a little more controlled and all that, which is fine. Probably should have been in, in some ways. And the speaking uh, uh, things will will rev up again. But right now, we're still uh, still kind of on hold and waiting. We're opening yeah. up in Dallas pretty well. Things are kind of you know very 
carefully one step at a time. Judy and I are going out to eat uh, more and more yeah. restaurants are opening and they're just having uh, you know, less capacity, but it is all uh, underway now. Well, and, and we're pretty much the same way down here. They've allowed the uh, even the bars to reopen. The stupidity of it, Roberta and I were yesterday looking for a place for lunch, and we went to a couple of places. They, oh, yeah, the dining room is open, but the patio's not open. And we said, well, the reason we come here is because we love sitting on the patio, but these are these are big chains like Papado's and things like that, and they just, you know, they're, they're doing whatever corporate tells them, and uh, uh, so I, you know, the little mom and pop are restaurants which are still our favorites they're they're opening up even more but it just uh i just scratched my head one of one of my new sayings that is uh somebody asked me the other day if i knew the difference in genius and stupidity do you know what the difference is and that is well genius has its limits (laughs) I, i look at some of this and you know some of it is thoughtful and I'm sure all well-intentioned, but some of it is just like, you know, have you thought this through? This just didn't really make much sense. But uh thing that makes sense is organic gardening. The place to go for more information is dirtdoctor.com, and I think we ought to do this again next week. I think it's a good plan. Let's do it. <laughs> I think we're social distancing, too. Nobody can complain. We're about 200 miles apart, so I think it's totally safe to listen to us here on Saturday mornings. That's exactly right. Everybody uh, get out there and enjoy that fresh air like you could get if you could sit on the patio. (laughs) Do it, and it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time on Saturdays, as always. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Bob. See you. Thank you, sir. All right, back to gardening. We're going to talk to uh, Marie and Ezell and uh, Francis and uh, I can't read my own writing here, but uh, it's going to be Marie and Ezell and Francis and Don. And uh, Marie is up first. Good morning, Marie. Good morning. Good morning. I have a, a side yard that I just mow. It's just weeds, and it has this little clover in it. It grows close to the ground, and it mm-hmm. flowers, small, tiny flowers. And then when Yellow it dries, flowers. Yeah. it sticks, the clover sticks to everything. <laughs> and that's why way? it's called, yeah, that's why it's called burr clover, B-U-R-R, because it does. Yes. Is there a way to get rid of just the clover, like a pre-emergent or something like that in the fall? Unfortunately, nothing that we have found really works. Now, what you can do in early spring when your grasses are have browned out for the winter months, uh, it is one of the first little green things to sprout out, and you can go through and spray with vinegar and orange oil. And since your Bermuda, since your St. Augustine, Zoysia, all of these are still brown, you don't hurt them at all, but it will kill the... Uh, the clovers, it will kill the, uh, oh gosh, all the little things that come up, the dandelions, the henbit, the beggar's lice, all of those things. So once it's up and growing, no. At that point, you just have to spot treat for it, and uh, it is it is a problem out there. The other thing, of course, is anything you can do to thicken up your regular grass, whether it's Bermuda or uh 
St. Augustine, either one, the thicker you get it, the less burr clover you will have. But the only person, the only creature that hates it more than we do are puppy dogs with shaggy feet that just pick up those burrs. That's yeah. what my dog goes out there and every night I have to brush that out of his coat. Oh, my, my business partner's golden is exactly the same way. Labs aren't too bad. But if you get on it early in the spring, the beginner in orange oil will really set it back. But once it's up and growing, uh, nothing short of a grubbing hoe really does much to get rid of it. Okay. Thank you. I wish I could give you a better answer, but uh, I, I feel your pain, so to speak. <laughs> Thank you, Marie. Thank you. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Ezel is next. Good morning, Ezel. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Morning, sir. Uh, doing real well. How about yourself? Thank you. Um, two questions, and I had called you in the past. I've got an orchid tree that's got some seeds now. You told me to call you back. Right. Uh-huh. When the seeds are they're funny looking seeds, you know, they're real flat. I can't see any seed, any like looks like seed inside of the little uh, pods, you know. They will, yeah, the seed is, is relatively small. You need to wait until those pods fully mature. Now, I've seen times when you'll have you know, six, eight, ten seed in a pod. I've seen times when it's a long, thin pod with maybe one seed in it. But wait until it is fully dry and then take it and break it open. And uh, I I guess it has to do with pollination, but just some years they seem to produce a lot of seed, some not so much. Uh, the good news is that the seed is is pretty viable. It's usually pretty easy to get it to sprout and grow. Okay, so uh, they're still on the tree, some of them, yeah. and they look real gnarly. You know, they're kind of curved and 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 brown and all that. So am I supposed to wait till they fall off? Not really. Feel the uh, feel the pods themselves, and um, when they start feeling dry, that's the point that the seed inside will be mature. If you wait until they fall off, they have normally already split open, and you do need to pick them before they start uh, splitting open. But just go out every day or two, and when it stops feeling kind of pliable when it starts feeling like it's getting hard and crisp that's the time to go ahead and pick uh-huh. them and just just snap them open okay so right, i'll do that now the other one is on that uh, i talked to you about that uh, tree that mexican olive tree that i had seen right yeah yeah and i went over there and, and there's not very many seeds on it the ones that were there were green i don't know if something's eating them or taking them or what uh, but I picked a couple of green ones, and uh, one of them finally ended up splitting open, and it's about the size of an almond. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so do I have to wait? Can, can they be picked green like I did and just let them dry up and then plant them? Well, many times the seed may or may not be viable. It's you don't have to wait till they split open, but when that that little olive, which is where the tree's name comes from, when it goes from being green to sort of a yellowish color, that is when it's going to be time to pick them. The seed has to be mature, and while the seed pot is green, it may or may not be viable enough to germinate. But if you wait, and I realize this means making a few trips back that direction, but when uh, 
And and as we get into later into the summer, they continue to bloom, as you well know, just on and on. Uh-huh. And as we get more insects, I think you're going to find more and more seed pods on there. Try to pick the ones that are starting to yellow. Those should have viable seed inside. Okay, so do I paint them? Do I plant them uh, with the point up or, or the point down or, you know? I don't think it really matters, but just to be safe, I plant them on their side. <laughs> I figure they'll sprout and crumb up that way. So, <laughs> Same thing I tell people about caladium bulbs. If you can't tell which is the top, plant it on its side, and it will do okay. <laughs> okay, now, now, now the last thing, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. The last thing is I have, I have never tried to grow roses. I have the uh, knockout roses, and they do good. But uh-huh. I planted. I I bought two roses, a yellow one and a red one, regular roses, and um, the yellow one's starting to bloom, but it has black spots on the on the on the bud. And you I've been probably it with. Um, go ahead. Uh, what what are you spraying with? Well, I bought something at the big box store. It says it's organic, and it does fungus, and it does black spot, and it does this uh-huh. and that. I've been spraying it, but it hasn't helped. It seems. Well, the problem with the buds, now on the foliage, you know, you can do things that will help, but many times there is a tiny, and you can put a dozen of them on the head of a pen, there's a little insect called a thrips insect that gets inside the bud, and it damages the bud before it even opens. You'll end up with discoloration on the bud, and if the bud opens, many times the edges of the petals are already brown before the flower even gets fully open. Right. So, and that's what yeah, I yeah. What you need to get there is get a, uh, a a liquid garlic at the nurseries. You'll usually find it under the name of either mosquito barrier or garlic barrier. Uh, you can make your own if you get some cloves, break up the individual pods, and put them in a blender. Blend it up real fine, but it's 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 a lot easier if you can find the garlic concentrate. Spray that early in the morning. Try to coat the back of the leaves as well as the top. It gets absorbed into the system of the plant, and it will repel those thrips uh, before they get a chance to do their damage. And uh, a lot of thrips out there this year. So uh, garlic barrier, mosquito barrier. Those are the two names you're probably going to find. The product is from a place called Garlic Research Labs is who we actually order and buy it from. But uh, that's going to stop the thrips and give you a lot better quality blooms. Okay, that's great. So uh, the regular roses, uh, of course, you have the deadhead, I understand. But uh, uh, will they uh, bloom continuously all summer? That depends on the type of rose. Uh, there's actually a term for it called remontant as to which roses uh, bloom that we basically call ever blooming, but you just almost have to go through variety by variety. Variety. Yeah. The uh, the knockouts continue to bloom. Uh, they take more water than any others, but uh, some of them, like Melinda's Dream, just bloom on and on. Others, uh, you get one shot at flowers, and that's it till next year. So it just depends on the variety of rose. Okay, so, all right, well, I'll check and see which one it is. I don't remember, uh, but anyway. Okay, well, that kind of, that answered my question. Thank you, Bob. Have a great day. It's always a pleasure. You do the same, and thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye.